0: Revelation 14, 9-13 A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be for- tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. To Revelation chapter 13. Obviously, that's going to be at the end of your Bible. If you're new to the Bible, just keep turning until you get to Revelation, and then go to chapter 13. After a short intermission, we are back in our series on Revelation we are calling The Last Word. And I hope throughout this series that you have learned more about the last book in your Bible. But more than that, I hope that the message, the resounding message of Revelation, has sunk into your heart that you have internalized this message and here's the message that Jesus is victorious and that everyone with him will share in that victory that is good news that is encouragement that is a message that they needed to hear in the first century that is a message we need to hear in our day and our time that Jesus wins and that we want to be with Jesus and share in that victory let me catch you up John is on the island of Patmos. He receives received a of visions that he is to share with the seven churches of Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, in the first century. Now, many times when we approach Revelation, I think we read it in the wrong way. Don't read Revelation as a mysterious code that you've got to unlock, a puzzle that you've got to put the pieces together so that you can predict the future. I don't think that's how we're supposed to read Revelation. Rather than a predictive code, it is an interpretive lens. Think of it as a lens through which to view what is happening now, of course, for these Christians in the first century, what they were dealing with, what was happening in their day and their time, and then now, by extension, in our day and our time, in light of what is to come. So an interpretive lens to see what is happening in light of what will happen. I think that's how we read Revelation. And So as we get into the second part of Revelation, we really begin to see the stage being set for this epic showdown between good and evil. We said that Jesus is victorious and we will get there at the end of Revelation. That news will be declared in a bold and a loud way. And so the stage is being set right now for this this showdown between good and evil. And it's what we're all hanging on for. It is certainly what these Christians in the first century were hoping for, were waiting for, were longing for. In fact, in our text today, in chapter 13 and in chapter 14, we have this phrase patient endurance. Patient endurance. Two different times, that is the message hang on, don't give up, don't quit, don't give in. Isn't that a message we need to hear today? There are so many things that are trying to pull us away from the gospel, so many things that are trying to extract us from the kingdom of God and place us squarely in the kingdom of this life, the earth, man-made things, forces that Satan, I think, is behind, trying to pull us away. There is temptation always coming at us. There is loss. There is discouragement. There is injustice. There are things that we can't get our minds around, things that our hearts have difficulty accepting. You see, when times are tough, it is easy to give up. It is easy to give in, isn't it? It certainly was for those Christians in the first century. A few years ago, a guy in Washington, D.C., named Justin Cannon, decided that he was tired of having these big dreams and just seeing them fall flat on their face. He had dreams of going into filmmaking, that didn't work. He had dreams of going into music, that didn't work. Being a graphic designer, that that didn't work. And one day he was with his friends and he was just expressing his frustration with never really achieving all of those goals and dreams. He said, you know, there should be a group. There should be like a support group for people who are ready to give up on their dreams. He said it as a throwaway statement, but one of his friends said, you know, that's a good idea. And so he thought about it, and he decided to put together the Quitters Club. A club of quitters. The Quitters Club. He promoted it, and he said, come join us as we give up on our dreams. (laughs) In the first 48 hours, 35 people signed up to be a part of the Quitters Club. They actually met. And at their first meeting, there were seven people there. I guess some of the people who signed up quit before it even started. <laughs> but the seven people met there and they met under the the umbrella or the thesis or the, the goal of giving up on these silly dreams and getting on with real life. We can relate to that sometimes, can't we? Sometimes we just want to give up. Sometimes life is too difficult. Things are too tough. I know that these Christians who were facing intense persecution felt that way. You see, in Revelation, John's immediate audience, these followers of Jesus were under the harsh hand of the Roman emperor Domitian. And he was cruel to Christians. He wanted everyone to conform to the ways of the Roman Empire to declare him, Caesar, as Lord, not Jesus as Lord. And these Christians, like all of us today had to make a choice they had to make a daily choice will i stick with jesus will i take up my cross and follow him no matter where he leads me will i walk with jesus or will i walk away it is a choice that you have to make every day and not making that choice is actually making that choice for the christians here this immediate audience They had every reason to give up they had every reason to say i cannot pick up my cross anymore i cannot follow jesus because where he's taking me it's too difficult it's easier just to conform to the ways of the world just blend in in fact if i go over here and follow jesus i'm going to be persecuted but if i just blend into society i will be treated like everyone else i'll have the same opportunities you see they had temples set up for emperor worship and you were to go into those temples light your incense declare caesar is lord and go on your way as a full member of the roman empire but if you didn't do that then you were shunned you were ostracized you had not the right the same economic rights. You couldn't just go into the marketplace and run a business necessarily. You couldn't buy and sell. You were treated differently. Sometimes you were even persecuted physically, sometimes even killed. They had every reason to give up. Who would blame them? So Jesus, through this revelation, he just gives it to them straight. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't say, Oh, life isn't that difficult. It's not that bad. He says, You need to know what's at stake. As you make that decision every day to take up your cross and follow me, you need to know what is at stake. And that's what we read today. So let's begin in chapter 13, verse 1. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had 10 horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear, and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and his great authority. Now that's not your normal daily Bible reading, is it? (laughs) There's a lot going on here. If you were tuned in earlier in this series, remember we said so much of revelation reaches back to the imagery of the old testament and it brings it forward and it uses it almost as a language for these first century christians a language that they would understand all these signs all these symbols that people on the outside who are threatening those christians might not see they might not speak that language and so here we see revelation reaching back and using some of the beast imagery of daniel In this current context and what is he talking about here first he's talking about this dragon this dragon is of course Satan and he empowers the beast he is behind everything that opposes Jesus everything that goes against the kingdom of God he is blasphemous he is violent and he has an agenda to tear people away from Jesus We know today that that's still true, don't we? That wasn't just true in the first century. Satan is still alive. He is still active. And he wants to tear us away from Jesus. That choice we make daily to take up our cross and follow him, he wants to plant a seed in your brain and in your heart that says, it's not worth it. I'm going to give up. I'm going to conform to the ways of the world because that's where success is. That's where happiness is. That's where I can get all the things that I want out of this life. Satan is behind it. The dragon. He is a destructive force in our world even today. And he empowers this beast from the sea. Interesting language. Let's see what the beast does. Back in the text, verse 5. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. Remember earlier, 42 months is three and a half years, half of seven. Seven is complete. It's perfect. So this is for a limited time, that this beast will have this authority for a limited time. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's Book of Life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. First century Christians would know exactly who this beast was. This beast from the sea, it is clearly referring to something about the Roman Empire, the powerful, the pagan Roman Empire. Specifically, I think, possibly it's referring to, if you want to get more specific, the emperor the emperor who had all the authority, who had military power, who had political power all over the world, the one who expected all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all people to worship him, to declare Caesar as Lord. And what we see is the beginning of this demarcation, this division of two different kingdoms on one hand we have the earthly kingdom of the Roman Empire who just happened to be in power at that time throughout Revelation sometimes it's called Babylon who was in power before that whatever power for them it was Rome and Rome was against the kingdom of God it was an earthly kingdom and so you have this earthly kingdom that is completely separate and contrasting to the heavenly kingdom. Over here, Caesar is Lord. Over here, Jesus is Lord. Over here, we worship a man. Over here, we worship the one and only God. Big difference. You see, you cannot declare two different lords. You can't pledge allegiance to two different kingdoms. It will not work. They stand in opposition to each other. Well, there's a second beast. In case one dragon and one beast wasn't enough, there is a second beast. And this beast is also empowered by the dragon, by Satan. It is the beast from the earth. So back in Revelation chapter 13, verse 11. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf And made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Incidentally, Nero, the emperor before Domitian, was known... For committing suicide by sword to the neck. And so, when he talks about this beast who was wounded by the sword, but yet lives or was healed, maybe he's saying, Yes, that emperor went away, but he was replaced by another emperor. There's always an emperor, there's always someone there. So, we have the dragon, we have the beast from the sea, we have the beast from the earth. Some scholars call this the evil trinity. It's very clear, remember we talked about the demarcation, the two different kingdoms? It's very clear that this is one of those pictures that helps us contrast with the kingdom of God. We have the evil trinity, and then we have what? The holy trinity of God. We have this trifecta of darkness and the triune of light. Two different kingdoms, two different forces at work. And in many ways, what this kingdom over here, the dragon, the beasts, what it represents is a counterfeit, a parody, a false version of the real kingdom. And that's important for us to realize because this kingdom is the one that we often see with our eyes, that we experience with our senses. It's the one in which we live every day. And so it's so easy to get caught up into this kingdom. You say, well, I'm not a Roman citizen. No. Step back for a minute and think about how earthly kingdoms draw us in, how we buy into the values of the world, because the world in this life say, if you want happiness, it's to be found here. If you want success, it's defined this way. If you want what everyone else wants, this is the one place to find it. But then we have God's kingdom over here marked by God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus. The second beast is probably another version of the Roman Empire. Some scholars have said the first beast beast is the military power of Rome, and the second beast is the economic power, and that may be true. Certainly those aspects are included, but I think if you really look at the context, what begins to emerge here is this first beast is the emperor. Maybe at least the Roman Empire in general, but maybe more specifically the emperor. And the second beast it is the prophets and the priests who serve at these emperor worship temples and facilitate the worship of the emperor. In fact a little bit later in chapter 16 of Revelation when John reviews these three these this evil trinity he talks about the dragon he talks about the beast, and then he also talks about the false prophet. So it's very possible here that his audience knew. The first beast, that's Rome, that is the emperor. The second beast, that are, that, that's these, these prophets and these priests who serve at these pagan temples who facilitate the worship of the emperor. Which goes along with this whole idea of a parody of the real kingdom because of course in God's kingdom there were priests and prophets. Back in Revelation chapter 13, let's see what happens with the second beast. Verse 15, the second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image, to worship the emperor, to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads, so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, or that can also be translated, it is humanity's number. That number is six 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 ah the number of the beast there may be nothing else in scripture that has caused more questions conspiracies and theories it is such a mysterious part of scripture what is the number or the mark of the beast this six 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 it has been sensationalized in movies and in real life Many people avoid it. One president is known to change his address on his Bel Air mansion. It was on 666 St. Cloud Road, and he changed it to 668 St. Cloud Road. Somebody after first service told me, he said, you won't believe this, but my security code on my credit card is 666. I said, that's God telling you, you don't need to use a credit card. (laughs) Actually, what I said was, oh, that's interesting. What is your credit card number and your expiration date? Let me, uh... (laughs) he would not reveal that information. We avoid that number, don't we? The mark of the beast, 666. I remember being in church as a kid, you know, back when we had songbooks. And not very often, but occasionally, the song leader would get up and say, turn to 666, that's 666. And me and my friends would look at each other like, "Uh uh-oh. We can't sing that song, that's the song of the devil. <laughs> that's what we say when we hear that number, don't we? Can you imagine being the one who wrote the song that got number 666 in the songbook? You, know, you get the call, hey, good news and bad news. Um, good news is your song made it in the book, bad news is it's going to be number 666. <laughs> Sorry about that, like, nobody will ever sing that song. There is actually a fear of the number 666, The word for it is 29 letters long, so I won't try to pronounce it because I have a fear of words that are 29 letters long. But it starts with hexa, which means six, and it ends with phobia, which is obviously fear. And there's a bunch of letters in between. We fear the number. There's so much stigma surrounding it. And see, here's the thing. When we mistakenly look at Revelation as this predictive code for the future, then we are forced to find something that aligns with that number. We have to take that number and label something as the mark of the beast because obviously, he is talking about something that's going to happen in the future. And you have probably heard theories just like I have heard theories about certain presidents, about the Washington Monument, about the barcodes on products that we use, about WWW in our internet about the radio frequency chips that are used in credit cards and other places that are moving us away from a cash-based society. And of course, the latest irrational version of the mark of the beast is the COVID vaccine. All these theories, because we're looking for something to label as the mark of the beast. But if revelation is meant to help better understand what is happening in light of what is to come, then it's pretty clear that the mark of the beast has something to do with the Roman Empire, at least for these first century Christians. After all, what are we told about it? We are told that it becomes your license to buy and sell in the marketplace. So there is a very good chance. In fact, some history shows that when you go into these temples... These emperor worship temples and you light your incense and you declare Caesar is Lord you are given a a document documentation some kind of credentials maybe it's a piece of paper maybe it's actually something they put on your hand or your forehead a stamp a, a code something that then allows you to go into the marketplace and buy and sell and if you don't have that because you didn't go to the temple and declare Caesar is Lord you go to the marketplace and someone could say now wait a second show me your credentials show me your documentation show me your mark I don't have it well sorry you can't have anything here you need to go on your way the other day I went into the hospital to to see someone and I was stopped in the lobby by a very nice lady at a desk and and she said can I help you I said well I'm, I'm here to see so-and-so and she said uh, well just a second she looked it up and she said um, well it's only one person per room and there's already someone up there right now I said oh okay I said I, I'm just a minister and I wanted to go up there and pray uh, for them she said oh well ministers don't count <laughs> I said no we, we don't count as as a person or as people <laughs> She either did not get my humor or she did not want to acknowledge my humor because she just kept on rolling. And she, she said, here, just take one of these. And she put a red paper bracelet on my wrist. And she said, now you can go anywhere. You can go to any room up there and pray. I said, okay. And, and I think something like that's happening here. If you jump through the hoops that make you a part of this kingdom, the kingdom of earth, you receive the mark of the beast, if you will. You receive your credentials that allow you to go into society and not be shunned, to be a part of society. But if you don't do that because you declare Jesus is Lord, you won't get that. And you'll get the consequences of not having it. So I think some of that's happening here. But I think also we can back up a little bit and take more of a macro view of this number, this mark of the beast you remember in verse 18, it said it is man's number or humanity's number. I think if you continue this idea of two very different kingdoms, two very different empires, what you see here is this is the one that is made by man, that exalts man. And anything made by man that exalts man stands in contrast to God's kingdom that exalts the Lamb of God. And so maybe if we step back, we see, you know, it's not just Rome that fits here. There are many things in this world, many things in this life that draw us in to a man-made kingdom that exalts man. Sometimes it's even exalting self. And there's so much temptation, there's so much allure, there's so much appeal to that. It's interesting that, and maybe if you've studied this at all, maybe you've seen this or read this, that that Nero, the emperor before Domitian, if you take the Hebrew letters for his name, which, why, why would you take the Hebrew letters since it's in the New Testament, but if you take the Hebrew letters, every one of those letters corresponds with a number. If you add those numbers up, they actually do equal 666. And so people say he's clearly talking about Nero. And maybe he is. Maybe he's talking specifically about Nero, the Roman emperor, or Domitian. But again, if you step back, there are so many things that fit into that spot. Something of this world that has the values of this world that exalts man rather than God. For Christians with a Jewish heritage, hearing these words, maybe hearing these words read in the assembly, you know what they would think of? They would think of a different mark. They wouldn't think of the mark of the beast. They would think of their own mark. The mark of their people, the mark of their Jewish heritage, the mark of the Shema. So you go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Listen to this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Listen to this. Tie them. As symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. The Shema was a prayer of allegiance, loving the Lord your God with everything you have, with everything you've got, that is pledging allegiance to God. And they would literally wear this on their forehead. Orthodox Jews even today still wear a phylactery, a little box with the Shema in it. That is their mark. And now in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, because of Jesus, that has been expanded to all who wear the mark of Christ, the Lamb of God. In fact, go to chapter 14 of Revelation. Look at the very first verse. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his Father's name written on their foreheads. We spend a lot of time theorizing and talking about the mark of the beast. How much time do we spend talking about the mark of Christ? The mark of the Lamb of God. Maybe we should spend more time thinking about that because that's the mark that we need to have. The one we need to wear. He goes on to say that they will enjoy the victory. That their eternity is secure that they are numbered with Christ, all who wear the name of the Father and the Lamb of God on their foreheads. And I don't think it's a literal mark on someone's forehead. I think it is a seal on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 1, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. When you surrender your life to Christ, when you say, I don't want to live and be identified by this kingdom of the earth, I want to be a citizen of God's kingdom through Jesus. You surrender your life to Christ, you're baptized into Christ, he seals you with the Holy Spirit. In fact, we say that language when we baptize, don't we? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, so that you would receive the forgiveness of your sins and what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. When you surrender your life to Christ, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's as if God is imprinting his name on you. He is writing his name on you. You belong to him, to the father and to the lamb of God. Do you remember in the movie, the toy story? The toys are all kind of disappointed because they think they've been forgotten by Andy, the boy who owns them, that he's moved on to other toys, that they don't have... A purpose. they don't have meaning, they don't really matter because he doesn't care about them anymore. And Woody, the cowboy who has Andy's name scribbled on the underside of his boot, reminds them, wait a second, you aren't forgotten. You aren't forgotten. We belong to Andy. Look, his name is written on me. We belong to him. And we need to be here when he needs us. That's what Woody says to him. We need to be here when he needs us. He reminds them whose name is written on them and that that name determines their identity and their purpose. The same is true for us. God has written his name on us and that tells us everything we need to know about our identity and our purpose. Well back in our text the dragon, the beast from the sea, the beast from the earth, they are met with three angels these three angels are declaring a different message, a message of good news. The first one is declaring the eternal gospel. The second one is declaring the fall of Babylon. Remember we talked about Babylon? Babylon is used with Rome interchangeably. The fall of Rome, this powerful pagan earthly kingdom. And the third angel, well, he has news that is good in one sense if you are a follower of Christ, but if you are one who wears the mark of this kingdom, then it's not good news at all, because judgment is coming. Chapter 14, verse 11. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image, or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for patient endurance. There's that phrase patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus then I heard a voice from heaven say write this blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on yes says the spirit they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them you've probably heard that read at funerals before it's a beautiful passage a great reminder of what awaits those who have the name of the Lord written on them But those marked by the earthly kingdom, by the worldly values, they will face eternal judgment. But those who bear the mark of the Lamb have a beautiful, blessed future in front of them. Well, do you remember the Quitters Club I told you about? The guy in D.C. who formed the Quitters Club? You know what happened? You can probably guess what happened. They started meeting together, and rather than discouraging dreaming, they ended up encouraging each other to pursue their dreams. It went from the quitters club to the the go-getters club. You see, sometimes we just need to know we're not alone. Sometimes we just need someone to give us some encouragement to say you can do this. It's an oversimplification, but I think that's what revelation is here. It is a message of hope saying you're not alone. It is a message of encouragement that says something much better awaits you. Yes, there are dragons and there are beasts all around us attacking us daily. Yes. But if we wear the mark of Christ, we belong to him. And we will not be dragged away from his kingdom. So we patiently endure we patiently endure. We do not give up. We choose today to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And tomorrow when we get up, we will choose to take up our cross and follow Jesus. So let me end with a question. Here's the question. Whose mark do you bear? Whose mark do you bear? Have you allowed the world and its desires to leave an imprint on you? To brand you? You need to know that that comes straight from the dragon. That comes straight from Satan. Or do you live and walk daily boldly wearing and declaring the name of Christ? Honoring him. Living for him. It's one or the other. It has to be. It's one or the other. Which one is it? Maybe another way to ask it is, where is your allegiance? Where is your allegiance? Sometimes we just need to know we're not alone. So I want you to know today, you're not alone. Look around you. There are people. There are people who are with you. God is with you. We want to encourage you. If we can do that, let us know. In just a minute, we're going to stand up. A couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in the parlor. It's a room in the hallway right behind me. They're going to pray together. You can just, when we stand up, you can just kind of sneak out, go around there. And and if you have a special prayer request or praise or just need some encouragement, meet them in there. They'll encourage you, they'll pray for you. Or if you want to come down to the front, we'll do that as a church family, as an assembly this morning. Maybe today you're ready to give your life to Christ, to put that name on, to wear it. It shapes who you are and what you do. Maybe you're ready to confess your faith in Jesus and be baptized into Christ. We would love to celebrate that decision with you this morning. If you're online, you can go to our website, reach out at our prayer page. Obviously, if you're here, you can come forward. Let's stand together and sing.